Just to be here in the house of the Lord, to praise the Lord together. Thank you, Neil, for leading us in the singing. And thank you, Randy, for leading us in the time of meditation for the Lord's Supper as well as the offering time. God bless each one of you. Before I do anything else, I'd like to take an opportunity, since this is the first time I'm before you as a guest preacher, to say thank you to... A congregation that does not make me feel at all just like a guest, but as part of the family. It's been somewhere around four years since we began worshiping here with this congregation. And you've always had your arms wide open to welcome us, to show hospitality. And I not only want to thank you for it, I want to encourage you to make a double effort to always do that. If there are any guests here, I hope that you will truly feel welcomed to the family here, a part of the family of God in this community. The year was 1997. And due to a combination of circumstances, I was on my way in a special trip to visit the country of India. 1997 was the 50th anniversary of India's independence. It was also the 50th anniversary of my parents arriving in India to begin mission work there. They went at that time, just mom and dad and my sister Mary Esther, the eldest of us four siblings. 1997 was the year they were going to be retiring. And so they had invited the four of us siblings to come back to India so that we could see the land where we had spent many years of our childhood growing up. It was a special trip for us to be able to go back. It had been over 30 years since we had been in India. And when I landed in India at the airport and we were leaving the airport, immediately there was a rush of many different sensations that met me. The press of the crowd of people around me, the sights, the sounds, the tastes, but perhaps especially the smells. The sense of smell is a powerful thing, and it can bring back memories and stir up powerful emotions within us and bring back feelings of nostalgia for things that we remember from years gone by. Today's story in the text in the Bible and the Gospel of Mark, tells us of a story of an act of loving worship in which the description says that the house where they were was filled with a beautiful fragrance. If you'd like to read along with me, I'm going to be reading this passage, which is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, just 11 verses that we'll be reading. Mark chapter 11, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11 as we continue the series of messages that we have been doing here in this congregation from the Gospel of Mark. Mark 14, 1 through 11, says the following. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table 
in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. In Mark's telling of this story, which is also told in at least two other places, in Matthew chapter 26 and in John chapter 12, in Mark's telling of the story, he begins and ends with the enemies of Jesus seeking an opportunity to kill Jesus, reminding us that as this story takes place, the dark clouds of suffering and persecution and dying on the cross were hovering around Jesus. These were the last days. We've just celebrated the Lord's Supper a couple days after this story. When Jesus had the Last Supper with the disciples to help them have a memorial so that in the future they could look back and remember what Jesus had done. But at this moment now, Jesus is well aware of what's coming. The dark clouds are gathering around. And so he begins with verses 1 and 2 and then ends with verses 11, 10 and 11 with the enemies of Jesus seeking an opportunity to kill Jesus. And then sandwiched between this opening and closing uh, verses of this section, he tells the story of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. And I'm going to be using not only the passage in Mark, but also drawing details from the other passages in Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 16, and John chapter 12, 1 through 8. We won't be reading those passages, but I'll be drawing details from there. As we look at the story, as we look at the background of this, it's the time of Passover, Mark tells us. Passover was one of the most important times in the calendar, in the spiritual calendar of the people of Israel. If at all possible, at least one time in their life, even those people who lived a long way away from Jerusalem and could not come every year, at least once in their life, it was their desire to be able to come to Jerusalem. It was a very important time. And because they made such a great effort to come, the city of Jerusalem swelled with an increased population. The passage mentions Bethany. Because there were so many people in Jerusalem, 
Many of them could not stay in Jerusalem during the uh, time of the feast. At night, they would go to the villages nearby, and Bethany was one of those villages. Bethany was also uh, known to us because it is the home of Martha and Mary, two sisters. And it's the home also of Lazarus, their brother, who not too long before this, Jesus had raised from the dead. The Bible tells us the detail given in John's Gospel that Jesus had returned to Bethany after being uh, away from that area for uh, a period of ministry after Lazarus being raised from the dead. He returned to Bethany and a dinner, dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And our passage tells us that this took place in the home of Simon the leper. We don't really know any details about him. Presumably, he may have been someone who had been a leper and Jesus had healed. We don't know that for sure. But he was a friend of Jesus and he had opened his house. And John's gospel tells us that also there present at the uh, dinner that was given in Jesus' honor were Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus was, as the custom it was there, together with the other guests, reclining at the table to eat the supper. I'm not sure the exact details of how that's done, but somehow they would have a low couch and they would recline, leaning on their left, left elbow so that they could use their right hand to eat. Martha, even as she did the first time we hear about her in Luke chapter 10, was serving. And then the Bible tells us that Mary, the sister, came with a jar of very expensive perfume broke the jar, and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. John adds this detail to the story. He says that she poured the perfume on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And then he says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She started probably with the head and then down to the, to the feet. She was anointing Jesus. And it was an expensive and beautiful perfume. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance. I'm wondering if when John was writing this gospel, uh, the gospel of John, many years later, if perhaps during those intervening years he had at times caught a whiff because someone else had used the same perfume, nard. Perhaps he had memories rush back to him. But as he wrote this, I'm thinking he was thinking how strong and powerful that perfume was that it filled the whole house with its fragrance. What a beautiful act of loving worship Mary had performed for Jesus. It really was an act of worship and an act of love. It was more than just honor and respect for a friend. It was worshiping him because... She at least had some idea that Jesus was much more than just a man. When we first meet her, it was Mary who, you recall, we are told, sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. She took advantage of every opportunity she had to be with Jesus and to listen to what he said. She surely had at least heard of the teachings and miracles of Jesus. We don't know if she ever traveled with him or not. Because every time we, we read about her, Jesus is in their home. 
Because they were a family that welcomed Jesus. And Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the Bible tells us. And because, because Mary had been with Jesus, I'm sure she had at least some idea, we don't know how complete of an idea, but some idea that Jesus was much more than a man. And so he deserved more than just honor and respect. He deserved worship. So for that reason, I say this was an act of loving worship. Probably she also had heard Jesus predicting that he was going to die. And so here she was at this supper in honor of Jesus. And that dark cloud of his suffering and death was hanging over them. And she felt that there needed to be done something other than just the supper. And so in loving worship, she anointed his body in preparation for the burial. Now, it's hard for me to imagine exactly how this would have been. It's hard for me to imagine how I would have reacted if we were at a dinner in honor of Jesus and suddenly... Mary comes in and starts anointing him with this oil. I don't know how I would have reacted, but the Bible tells us that there was a very strong reaction on the part of those who were there. Mark says that some of those present were saying indignantly, one to another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And then it says, and they rebuked her. The reaction was very strong, almost violent. They were indignant, saying, why waste this money? They could sell the perfume. Matthew's story tells us that the disciples, even, were among those who were indignant. But it's John's gospel that tells us the root or where this indignation came from. In John's Gospel, we read, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this, John adds, because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas Iscariot stirred up the others. Unfortunately, the others were willing to listen to Judas Iscariot. And so they, too, started raising a voice of indignation. It's like the saying says, it appears that no good deed goes without punishment. Here Mary had offered such a beautiful act of loving worship to Jesus, and immediately the critics came out. But Jesus' response was very rapid and very strong also. He immediately came to the defense of Mary. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? And then he says that what she did was a beautiful thing. And truly it is a beautiful act of loving worship that we are presented with here in this gospel. He adds that what she did was to prepare for his burial beforehand. She was preparing for the time when he would die and be buried. By Jesus' words of of defense of Mary, he shows that what she did was something that was very important. In fact, at this moment, although 
The poor are always important and we should do everything we can to help the poor. At this moment, what Mary did as she poured out that expensive perfume, anointing Jesus, was something very important, more important than being able to help the poor at that moment. It was important to Jesus as he faced the suffering, the persecution, and the cross itself as he gave his life for our salvation. It was a moment when Mary showed that she loved Jesus. And it was a time when he was being supported by this act of worship. And so it was important for him, and he showed it by the way he came to her defense. He clearly accepted her act as an act of love and worship. Then it says in verse 9, some words that are very interesting. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus is facing his death on the cross. He has just had the oil anointed over his body in preparation for his death. And yet he speaks of the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news. He's looking beyond the cross at this time to good news. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the good news is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And here we see words of hope as Jesus, even as he faces the cross, looks to the victory and the gospel which will follow. He looks beyond his death to the good news of a risen Savior. And promises that wherever the good news gospel is preached throughout the world, this act of loving worship is going to be remembered. What an incredible thing to think of. That she was performing an act that Jesus promises is going to be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. As we go back to Mark's passage, we see that Mark highlights the contrast between the enemies of Jesus who were seeking an opportunity to kill him and Mary of Bethany who took advantage of an opportunity she had to spontaneously worship Jesus by anointing his body in preparation for the burial. That's why at the beginning the first two verses speak of the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus. The last two verses show how Judas himself went and offered to betray Jesus to the religious leaders and then was looking for an opportunity to betray him. A contrast between those and the act of love of Mary as she anointed his body beforehand for his burial. And that contrast presents us with a challenge and a choice in our lives. Are we going to follow the example of the one who is willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Will we follow the example of the chief priests and teachers of the law who were scheming how to, how to kill Jesus but in a way that would not stir up the wrath of the Romans? Or are we going to follow the example of Mary who anointed Jesus in a beautiful act of loving worship? 
When Jesus says in this passage that wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told in memory of Mary, he's holding her up as a hero to be emulated and an example to be followed. Mary sat, in the first time we knew her, at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him. She's a hero to be emulated, an example to follow. In this dinner, given in the honor of Jesus, she takes a container of precious perfume, breaking off probably the neck of it or maybe breaking the whole container in order to pour out the complete contents in anointing Jesus for his burial. And she is an example that we should follow. When we're first introduced to Mary, as I've already mentioned, we read that she sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. She was willing to spend time with Jesus whenever there was an opportunity. And when she was with Jesus, she was willing to put her heart and mind into listening to what he was saying in order to understand who he was and in order to understand the truths that he was teaching. She spent time with Jesus so that she could learn from him and come to know him better. We can follow her example by taking every opportunity that we have to be with Jesus. We will not be able to go and be with him in a dinner in his honor because after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven and sent his spirit to be with us. But you and I can be very diligent in spending time with Jesus, whether it be coming to the worship services or Bible studies, but each and every day in our own homes, we can spend time with Jesus as we open the word and read from it, as we pray, as we fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We can spend time with Jesus so that we can come to know him better and what his will is, and so that he will help us to see the opportunities that he gives us. To follow the example of Mary in lovingly worshiping him. Mary was willing to give a gift. I think it says 300 denarii. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Unit of money. But I know that values of money are something that fluctuate so very much. When we lived in Uruguay, across in Argentina, there was a time when they said the inflation rate annually was something like a million. I don't even know how you comprehend such a thing. But I know that when we visited Argentina while living in Uruguay, there was a time when there were three different currencies in circulation because the value had dropped so quickly. And so to understand what 300 denarius means, it's not easy to calculate. But Bible students have calculated that it was more than a year's wages for the common laborer. In other words, this was a hugely expensive flask of perfume. But no price was too much, no sacrifice too great, because what Mary was doing was so important, and she lovingly worshipped God. Are we willing to give sacrificially to God? So that his love can be proclaimed right here in this community and around the world? Are we willing to give sacrificially, not just of money, but also of our time, of our resources, of our love? As we follow Mary's example, we should be willing to do that. 
Another important thing to point out is that we see that Mary saw an opportunity to express her love and adoration. And when she saw that opportunity, she didn't hesitate. As I was meditating on this passage and preparing for the sermon, I kept thinking in my mind, Mary was the only one who had the opportunity and took advantage of the opportunity to prepare Jesus' body for burial. But in my mind, I kept saying, before he died, thinking that the only other opportunity was after he died. But do you remember what the women who went to the tomb found? They went to the tomb prepared to anoint his body with the special spices and and whatever other um, items were used in their tradition. They were going to anoint his body because now he had died. But the opportunity was gone. Why? He arose. He arose. He is not here, the messenger said. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Mary's the one who had the opportunity. Had it not been for the fact that she was sensitive to knowing that this was an opportunity she could use to anoint his body. If she had not been sensitive to that, his body would never have been prepared for burial. But beforehand, she had already done it. One last thing I want to come back to and uh, touch upon as we look at ways that we can bring this passage and apply it to our lives are the words of Jesus when he said, The poor you will always have with you. Those who were criticizing Mary said, Oh, what a waste. Of course, we know that Judas, who started it all, he wasn't really concerned at all about the poor. He had the money back. He had been entrusted with the finances. And he was dipping into the bag. But was Jesus here saying that the poor are not important? Not at all. In fact, if we look more deeply into this, we see that his words, the poor you will always have with you, are a reflection of Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, where we read these words. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Jesus himself showed that he was always concerned about the poor and the needy. Throughout his ministry, he took care of them. And in Matthew 25, verse 40, when he is speaking about the last days and the judgment, and he says that he would separate the sheep from the goats, those words ring out, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He speaks of those who are hungry and feeding them. He speaks of the thirsty and giving them something to drink. He speaks of being a stranger and being invited in. He speaks of people who need clothes. And those who are followers of Jesus provided them. He speaks of those who are sick or in prison and we go to visit them. 
We have so many different opportunities nowadays in which we can provide a loving sacrifice to Jesus by the actions that we take in sharing God's love and compassion with a world that is in need. Today we can't go and anoint his body. That was truly a unique event. Only Mary was able to do that. She was the only one. But you and I can continue to care for and lift up Christ's body, not only the church here, but throughout the world, as we go out and we seek to help the poor and the needy. Not only that, but as we seek to share God's love. And finally, as we proclaim the good news of salvation through Christ. As we do those things, we are truly offering a sacrifice of loving worship to Jesus. We come to the time of invitation. We think of the examples that we have. And Jesus is challenging us and inviting us to follow the example of Mary, who is willing at great sacrifice to give an offering of loving worship to Jesus. As we sing the hymn of invitation this morning, it's a time when each of us should make a decision to be faithful in serving our Lord. And we're here at this congregation. We're ready to help in any way we can. As we sing the hymn of invitation, if anyone uh, has some prayer request or wants to make a decision, our brother, Cheryl Hudson, the elder, will be coming forward and will be standing and singing the hymn of invitation. And um, even if you don't come forward, may each of us be making that decision and commitment to be like Mary in worshiping Jesus. Let's stand and be singing.